CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Bosch Software Innovations. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Hello and uh, welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. As always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag talent. Uh, today's topic is IT talent retention in the new normal, and our guests for today's show are Steve Safir, who is the Chief Transformation and Human Resource Officer with Panasonic North America. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Fine, thank you. Good morning. Great, great to have you. We also have John Higginson, who's the Chief Technology Officer with Wheels. John, how are you doing? I'm good. Good morning. Good morning to you. And Josh Burson, Principal and Founder of Burson by Deloitte. Josh, how is life going in California there? It's good. We're all up in Adam here on the West Coast today. <laughs> all right, great. Welcome all of you to the show. Now, we've talked recently on the show about Generation Y and about the changing wants and needs of the upcoming workforce. Um, about putting employees first and how companies can help make a positive difference in their employees' lives. So all of those discussions add up to some of the challenges companies are facing in retaining talent, specifically we're talking about here IT talent, and in order to nurture their skills and helping them to develop a career. Today, so we wanted to get the perspective of an IT leader, someone from HR and an analyst to talk about how HR and organizations will be redefined to take career development seriously and uh, rethink acquisition and retention strategies. So starting with you, Steve, if you were to look at the HR professional, since you, you lead that in, in, at Panasonic, what are the challenges that you feel HR professionals are seeing uh, with respect to people? And let's specifically talk about the IT side. Sure. So I'd probably describe the challenge on a few different levels. I think generally there's a challenge for HR that's always existed in terms of proving not only relevance to the business, but also contributing to the business bottom line. So we in HR always have to look at how do we help the business achieve objectives like increasing revenues, and how do we drive towards profitability. And as we know, of course, IT is a very important partner in that equation. If we drill down within the organization to people, again, there's a general movement, I should say, or, or trend that we find in that people entering the workforce now are in some ways different than people who entered it, say, 20 and 30 years ago. I think uh, they want to have more say in their careers. They want to have more say in their jobs and probably expect to stay with companies less, uh, fewer years than would have been true in the past. And as we drill down to, into IT, I think all those themes get even more sharply defined. I think IT people want uh, access to technology, they want access to meaningful jobs, they want to make a difference to the business, they want to have relevance both for their careers and for their personal life, and they're willing to, to move from company to company, which makes our challenge from an HR perspective all the more uh, real and, um, and impactful because we need to address those challenges and keep, uh, attract and keep the best people with us. Josh, you've lived your uh, life and, and worked on this career right. where you have handled. Now, are IT folks really that tough of an animal to deal with? 
Yes, in fact, it may be one of the worst <laughs> worst segments of talent from this standpoint because there's such a shortage of technical skills in many companies, <clears throat> whether that be IT or, or software engineering for more product development. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to hear Steve's perspective because from where I sit, um, I see this, and I live in the Bay Area where there's a huge um, war for talent again. Um, and we just, for example, uh, Dice, which is a survey company that does job, you know, postings for IT and technical professionals, just put out a survey that said that 30% of IT professionals believe they could find a better job within 60 days if they looked. Which means, which basically tells you how transparent the job market is. You know, these tools like LinkedIn and, to some degree, Glassdoor and Twitter and most of the other ones have let the, you know, have put the job market online. So if you're a technical professional, you're an analytics expert, you're a database expert, you're, you know, you're, you're really good at a particular technology, jobs are going to come to you. So um, just as Steve said, the, uh, the, the real challenge for, for an employer is to create what we call an irresistible work organization that somebody would not want to leave and really, really focus on what's going to make people want to stick around. And, the, and there's, uh, you know, many new issues that are on people's minds now when they, when they um, you know, when they decide where to work and where to stay. John, uh, you've been an IT leader for quite some time, and if you've built teams, you've attempted to retain them, you've attempted to attract them. What's your story? Yeah, I, I agree with um, what Josh and Steve said. I mean, it is, you know, we've, we've gone through a couple of cycles in technology, and, and technology's always been a competitive field. I mean, I, I've been doing this for 20-plus years, and it's always been competitive. And it, it got really competitive around the, uh, the dot-com boom, and, and it feels like we're in that again, where there just seem like there are far more jobs out there than there are people to do it. I, I think... You know, we do a lot of things, and I've done a lot of things on my team, you know, that you hear about in companies. You know, we have foosball, and, you know, we have, uh, you know, we have coffee machines in the cafeteria, and we do things, you know, small perks like that. But what I found is that it, it really, for technology people, and particularly people, technology people of Gen Y and millennials who are coming in, it really comes down to two things. One is they want to feel they have a sense of ownership. They want to feel a sense of ownership in the work that they're doing, which means they want to understand. They want to understand the larger goal of what's being developed. They want to be heard when they have ideas. They want to have outlets uh, to, to bring those ideas forward. And they want to feel challenged. They want to, they want to work on things that are interesting. And, you know, a lot of the people who've gotten into technology there, that's why they got into it. And so, you know, for us, it's, it's, you know, making sure people have a chance to rotate between teams. It's making sure that um, people have a way to talk about ideas and that there's a, just a kind of lively debate. Uh, you know, one thing that certainly went out the window, I think, a long time ago in technology organizations is the, is the hierarchical model, you know, where you had, you know, a handful of philosopher kings at the mm -hmm. top who said, well, this is exactly how we're going to build this and this is how it's going to work. And then everybody just executed that. It's a, it's a far more collaborative environment, um, and that results actually in, in building good technology. Uh, but it also it also helps with retention. And, and I think the you know one thing that's related to that is I think if you run technology organizations today, you have to the new normal is people don't stay very long. You don't have people who are going to be around for you know ten years. That's just not the norm. And you, know, you have to you have to have people that want to stick around as, as long as, as, as it 
as they can, and it makes sense for their career and, and your business goals, but you have to get used to the fact there's going to be a certain amount of, of new people coming into the team every year. So, Steve, why would you unnecessarily put another item on your plate if the trend is that people are not going to stay longer no matter how much you dance in front of them? Why, why, would, you, why would you even go the retention route? Should that be a part of your strategy or you rather just attract people so that you keep filling the hopper? No, I think there's value in retention. I want people who will stay with us as long as it makes sense for us, as long as it makes sense for them. We talked a little bit earlier about the transparency that exists in the job market. I want people who feel that they're getting a fair shake from us, that they, they have, as John or Josh said, um, uh, visibility into what we're trying to do as a company, that they understand their role in it. You know, one of the interesting things about the IT profession is that I think Earlier than most, maybe maybe also with a legal profession, the IT profession introduced into organizations this notion of perhaps a truer meritocracy, that um, we found that supervising people wasn't the be-all and end-all of somebody's career, that there were technical skills and contributions to teams and to businesses that made sense for IT people. And we recognize that and I think struggled in some traditional HR systems to figure out ways to develop people. So how do we move people up their careers without necessarily giving them supervisory responsibilities? In fact, sometimes keeping them away from supervisory responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, I think that the broader we can be and the more flexible we can be in having jobs and roles and contributions that fit for people, we don't have to worry so much about attraction and retention. It's more, let us give you something that's meaningful for you. You stay as long as you can. I know at some point in your life you're probably going to get a more competitive job offer, and hopefully I've been able to give you enough that makes you think twice that, gee, do I want to leave or do, or do I want to stay because there are some things here that are more important to me. So I guess long story short, not one one answer around attraction or retention, but a number of ways we can recognize people to make this a worthwhile stop for them on their career path. Yeah, yeah, I would say that you know from what I've learned talking to many many companies is that people actually don't like to change jobs all the time. I mean, they will if they feel that they can and it's in their best interest, but most people would prefer <laughs> to stick around. So you know, our challenge as employers just, you know, as Steve and John have been saying, is to create a work environment that gives you um, opportunities to work on great stuff and progress. And, and the interesting problem, I think, you know, we just talked about is too many companies still have this model where if you, if you don't turn into a manager, you're not going to really get ahead. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's in, you know, really ridiculous in today's job market, particularly in technology, where there are functional leaders needed, there are technical leaders needed, there are project leaders needed, and um, managers play less and less of a role every day. And I was kind of interested in John's comment about, you know, smaller teams and how, you know, whether they use agile software development methodologies or, you know, how you do that. I remember I worked for IBM in the 1980s, and these IT departments were massive departments with, you know, thousands of DBAs and thousands of COBOL programmers, you know, operating like automatons, but I don't think it works that way anymore. So I actually think mm-hmm. the, really the mission for, for any employer, particularly IT, is to create this dynamic environment so people don't want to leave. Because actually, I, I don't think people really prefer job hopping all that much. 
So yeah, I, yeah, I, I would just one quick thing on that, Sanjay. I think um, I think that is true. I, I think people, you know, people form relationships in the team, and they, you know, they there's a there's a sense of shared accomplishment, and, and people don't necessarily want to leave that. I think when that feeling of shared accomplishment goes away, it, or they feel like they're not progressing that that's when, you know, that's when they have, they look for other opportunities. And, the, you know, as, as you said earlier, the reality is they don't have to look all that hard. In fact, a lot of them are getting inbound calls anyway, luring them to other jobs. And so if, when they, when they become dissatisfied in the role, it's very easy for them to, to move. But I think as long as they have, um, if, as, long, as long as they feel fulfilled in it, we're far more likely to retain them. You know, if I can add to that, this is Steve. I'd, um, there's a concept that's come to my head that I've heard said in different ways, but it's around wasted energy. I think that we have a lot of people in the workforce now who are very eager and very able to work hard, and they do, we do. They're accessible at all hours uh, through communications, et cetera. But I think if people feel like they're spinning wheels, that a lot of their energy is spent on bureaucratic stuff or projects that don't see the light of day or um, just checking the box because the manager asks them to, that that's really the um, kiss of death for somebody's tenure. It's that wasted energy that I've been thinking about more and more as being a, a problem within organizations, and not just true at IT, but uh, all over. Yeah, Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. Uh, Josh, please hold your thoughts. Sure. We'll be right back, uh, listeners. And uh, please stay tuned. It's an interesting conversation. Good warm-up. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Josh, you had a thought on the energy question. Yeah, or the I, th- comment? I think this, uh, this concept of wasted energy is really a good one. I mean, I, I've had a lot of IT and technical people work for me over the years, and we have an engineering team now. And I'll tell you, what turns them on the most is not only building something great, but watching it, you know, being used and 
and seeing people gain value from it and contributing to it over time. So uh, one of the things, I guess, to think about in IT, and I'm not an IT um, you know, executive, but is can you, can you organize the team so people get to stick with projects and see them fulfill their mission in the market, whether that be internally or externally, and really feel that their energy is being rewarded directly with people using this stuff. That's very um, empowering for people, and it makes people not want to leave. And I think that's a really great concept. All right, yeah, we have is... a caller. Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, Steve. You have a comment there? Uh, no, sorry, no, go sorry, ahead, please. All right, so let, let's take the caller. Uh, this is Karen from Toronto. Hello, gentlemen. Good morning. Hello there. Hi. Hello. Yes, we can hear you, Karen. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Well, I just I wanted to to share that as a Canadian in business, we're always kind of taught by leadership or told to to wait and see and and look and leverage what the Americas or the Americans are doing uh, because they're so aggressive. And what I felt was that because you guys step up, take assertive leadership. Uh, you're being innovative here and, and taking preventative measures rather than after the fact. Uh, I mean, I, don't, I, I see that as assertive and, and, and not aggressive and that we need to um, maybe not always leverage, but definitely thank you for the, uh, the innovation that's coming from, from this thought, especially the, the manager, what you were saying. Like not everybody wanted to be in that level of giving reviews to people, so manager wasn't something that that path was, was followed. Does that make sense? Hi, this is Steve from Panasonic. Um, it does make sense, although I will um, take a little bit of a different angle. It's hard to stereotype about countries in general, but my experience of Canadians has always been that um, they will challenge and look at things differently and it um, doesn't have to be done this particular way. There's almost um, a sense of reality there that I, that I appreciate where, you know, how is this going to, to work practically? So I think... You know, I think really the, the commonality is around the business issue versus the country and the people who want to make a difference. Awesome. Thank All right. You. Thank you so much for your call, Karen. Thank you, Sanjog. Great. You know, Sanjog, there's one more thing that I just want to mention, you know, that I think is something to consider. You know, if you're a manager and you have a project, say an IT project or a system or an implementation, <clears throat> and, you know, the question is how is that manager being measured? If he or she is being measured by on-time, on-budget, they're going to push their team as hard as they can to get the work done. <clears throat> and that may or may not be a good thing for the retention of the people. Because there may be somebody really good on that team that, frankly, has done this six times and just doesn't want to do it one more time. And so from the manager's standpoint, I want to keep that person on the team because he's going to make a success. But on the other hand, from retention standpoint, that guy really needs another role. He needs to be rotated out. So one of the things we have to be careful of is how do we reward leaders for, you know, producing and developing people, not just getting work done. And I think that's an issue that a lot of companies struggle with, um, that, that it results in retention problems, simply because they're pushing people to, to you know, too hard on the performance measure. This is Steve. I, I could not agree with you more. I think what you really nailed is the essential challenge of leadership, and it's not to try to fit everybody into 
one role or one set of expectations is really looking at the configuration of the team and seeing how do you best leverage people's talents. And, and sometimes that's different around different projects. So, you know, I think you're right. I think historically we've asked managers to measure everyone against this common yardstick. And um, it's, it's uh, you know, as much as I don't like stereotyping about countries, I'm not crazy about always resorting to sports analogies, but it's, it's like a coach. There's a series of roles and a series of um, – uh, talents and a, and a set of players, and given the particular situation, how do you move people around and at the same time have them all feel like they're making a valuable contribution? So I, I think that's a that's a great point. So John, yeah, yeah, a quick question John. for you yeah. uh, is uh, like basically you see the both comments that you got. Now, when you build your teams, do you think uh, you have a few people who dominate? all different uh, situations and they look like stars and then the other people who should have been given the required uh, focus or, or nurturing or coaching, they fall by the wayside? Yeah, I, I think, I think it's, it's true that you, you do wind up with certain people who um, are just, you can see them as, as being head and shoulders above other people in terms of, of creativity or, or technical skills or capability. And some of that is just natural. Um, I'm, I'm also not a huge fan of sports analogies, but I mean, you, you do wind up with you know having the star players on teams, and uh, but you also have to have a team around them um, because you know in Chicago, despite the championships which came later in the early days, Michael Jordan didn't have a team around him. He didn't go very far. Um, so you do have that, but I, I, I do I do agree with the comments about giving people opportunity and helping to grow them, and that. You know, ultimately, what we're trying to do, you know, here at Wheels, and what I've done with all of my teams is we're, you know, a lot of what I, you know, we're building technology, and that might be software, that might be, that might be combined hardware, software solutions, and that's really the art stick. Are you building good products? And yes, dates are important, and yes, quality is very important, but if you focus on those very tactical measures, you will get, you know, you will get managers who just focus on on short-term goals and just hitting those things, where I, I think for technology leaders in particular, one of their, you know, their most important task is actually attracting, retaining, and growing talent in their teams and in the team collectively. Over the years, you know, I, I wind up interviewing everybody that, and I run big teams, I mean, I run teams with you know, a couple of hundred people on them, but I wind up interviewing everybody who comes through the door for whatever the role is in the technology team, and, and my managers do as well. And the reason is, is because that's one of the, that's probably the most important activity we can do. There's lots of other things we can spend our time in, but if we're not getting the right people on the team, if we're not making sure that um, you know that it's a good fit then we're ultimately not doing our job. And I, I think one thing that helps managers too, which we've done, lots of companies have taken to this, is you actually, you, you say after a certain number of iterations on a project, you know, we, you know, we do agile and a certain number of releases, you actually move people around. It's healthy for the individual employee, but it's healthy for the team too because it forces them to adapt and rethink their processes and rethink their approach, and it ultimately makes everybody better. Josh, question for you. Is sure. there a concept of best talent uh, actually a good idea? This Is this concept of best talent a good idea when you're looking at retention? Because the best could become mediocre mm -hmm. uh, when when the, the, the pace at which everything is changing around us. So what yeah. is your basis to say, I'm going to retain this versus that? Yeah. Well, there's this, there's this terrible practice in HR that's been around for years 
um, which I, I didn't. I mean, I'm not a fan of it, but it's there. Which is creating a list of hypos, you know, high potentials, and almost everybody got, does this, and they and they rank people by their potential to move either up the organization or into more, um, you know, functional or technical roles. And then there's people at the bottom of the list, of course. And, um, you know, one of the things that people worry about is losing those hypos because they're the ones that presumably could go somewhere else and do something much, much better. You know, my experience, um, you know, I'm in my mid to late 50s, and I've been around for a while. My experience is that, you know, people that are hypos in one particular organization or one particular situation, you know, may not be hypos in other ones. And there are superstars everywhere, of course, you know, software engineers, project managers, and so forth. And I think the the attitude that we need to take, and hopefully you guys agree, is that everybody has the potential to improve. Everybody has the potential to contribute. We help them do that. That's the coaching model. And we give them a, a sense of what that means so they know if they're contributing well. And if they're not, we either, we give them some support or we coach them out of the business. Maybe they don't fit. You know, and There may be cultural reasons. There's a big tr- trend right now to hire for culture. <clears throat> not just technology and skills. Um, you know, I've worked in some software companies that are brutal, you know, really well-known companies that everybody would want to work for that are actually horrible places to work culturally. And they attracted a certain breed of people that were willing to work very, very hard, you know, for the big upside at the end. But other people didn't. There were other people that wanted to work on a more relaxed environment, maybe, maybe just as exciting, but not the same culture. So... I don't really particularly think that we should be overly focused on just those top, top people, but everybody has them, and, and, they ha- and you have to be very, very careful. But you don't want to bend the whole organization backwards just to preserve you know, one super-duper engineer and everybody else gets upset. And I'd be curious what you guys think. You guys are sort of in the trenches with this issue. Yeah, yeah this is Steve, John. I can I... speak to that. Um, and it was really our executives who gave us that feedback. So as you say, like other companies, we had a hypo program, and we took a bit of a turn this year. And what our executive said is we don't want to create a class of people who have and a class of people who have not, kind of similar to Josh's comment. Uh, we've changed the program, and it's going to sound subtle, but it's actually been somewhat profound. We now have an enhanced development program, an EDP program, as opposed to a hypo program. And our slogan and mission is everybody gets development. These people get a particular kind of development. And... Um, We've focused a lot on talent management and on training this last year or two, and we have particular sets of courses and training experiences that are dedicated to different people at different stages of their career or individual contributors versus managers. But I very much like that notion of let's not create a class of haves and have-nots. Let's try to develop everybody to be their best. And, And at some point, they and we make a choice as to whether it's a good fit for them. Yeah, John? this is this is John. This is uh, if we could band together and get rid of stack ranking, too, <laughs> I think that would be great. Um, yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, we you know we work to offer opportunity for everyone um, because we there we certainly have a, a sense of what our depth chart is, and and you know if we have a new project, who might who we might move on to that in a leadership role or in a certain. Um, critical technical role, but really it's about the entire team. It's about giving the entire team opportunity, and that opportunity might come in the form of 
contests where we ask people for ideas, and the best idea wins, and then they get to work on implementing that idea, even if it's not a you know a planned business project, um, to training to conferences. One one thing I'll add on to though, the, the people that don't fit, and I and I agree, it's as much about culture and it's as much about fitting what what the team is like and what the company is like to what the employee is is comfortable with. Um, the caveat I'll put onto that is. I think you wind up ascertaining that relatively quickly. Sometimes you do it in the interview, but that's that's an imperfect process. But early on, usually in in somebody's tenure with a company, you can tell it doesn't fit. And you know, our philosophy has always been: if it isn't working, you just need to say that, and you just need to move on. I think sometimes we fall into the trap, and I've done this too, where you say, "Well." maybe another three months, maybe another six months, when you know in your heart it's not working. And I think that's as important because the team sees that. You know, the team, the team knows long before managers do what's working and what's not. And they're just, you, a lot of times they're just waiting for us to catch up. So, Steve, when you look at your, uh, and then we'll take a quick break, by the way, uh, but uh, we just want to set the stage. So when we come in and talk about we are going to set up this retention strategy, this attraction strategy, how much of empirical primary research-based data that we have and we collect on a regular basis from directly the employees or the people who we are interviewing for us to make those determinations? Or is this coming out of some, some studies, some reports, and that may not be relevant to our environments? So, so we'd love to get your thoughts on how it is being done to keep it practical, keep it real. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Steve, how real is our, or, or the, what's the basis of our strategies that you're creating for retention and attraction of talent? Is it outdated? Is it being continually refreshed? What's your source? That's a great question. I think in some respects, it's 
similar to what it's always been, although perhaps we're trying to do a better job at it, and that is there's a fluid feedback cycle where we're constantly talking to our internal customers, our IT people and, and the people who uh, use IT services. So I'm talking to executives. Our HR business partners are talking to their colleagues within the organization and to the IT people themselves. We do employee opinion surveys. We do exit interviews when, when people leave so that there's a constant flow of information as to what people are looking for, what's working, what needs to be improved. Then we have more, we've turned more to statistics. So we'll do comp analyses against survey data and uh, also talk to our recruiters to say what are we hearing from the market in terms of the compensation levels we need to pay and the sometimes what's important are the base salaries versus the uh, the bonus opportunities and the benefits that we offer. So there, there's that data. And then as we go further along the data continuum, we have KPIs that we measure. So time to hire and uh, voluntary turnover and involuntary turnover. Then we get a little bit more future-oriented. So we embarked on an effort this past year with the help of a consulting firm to take on an initiative called Predictive Analytics. And we looked at, you can, you can think of it as a big data approach, although in our sense wasn't that big a data approach, it certainly was data intensive, where we looked at a lot of different factors in the organization and um, tried to find out what predicted staying with a company and what predicted turnover. By the way, I will tell you that um, the major factor that predicted retention was training. If a, if a person had at least one training course, uh, he or she was more likely to stay with the organization. So that was an interesting finding. And now we're transitioning to become even more future-oriented and doing a structured workforce planning effort. Um, so what are the needs of the business? What are the available sources of talent out there? And how do we start looking one to three to five years out to put in the kinds of people that some of our workforce is going to leave, retire, uh, leave for whatever reason, how do we put in the kind of workforce that we need? So if, if this were on a, a video, I could show you a graph, but it goes from the more fluid and perhaps the more anecdotal to the more data intensive, both from a retroactive perspective, but also looking forward. John, if you were to look at the environments that you've been in, would you say HR driving talent retention, even for IT, is that... Uh, has that borne better results, or uh, or would you say IT driving it, inviting HR as and when needed, that has helped? What what is that mix? Because the data, the way it gets collected for the people within IT and the type of analysis that you do, with understanding of semantics of what IT requires at any given time in terms of skill mix, what what has worked? What's worked best in my experience is a partnership with a, a real partnership with HR and IT. And you know, a, HR has a tremendous insight into both information, into um, H, you know, both external information about the market and what's happening in certain job types, as well as information internally. Um, as much as you know, we, you know, we know about some of the day-to-day -day activities of the team and, and you know, what people like or, or don't like, HR gets that as well. And I, I think the organizations that I've worked in, HR's done a really good job of being that, um, being that group that people, if they had concerns, they were comfortable going to. And so being able to collaborate with HR and say, okay, this is the kind of team we want to build. This is what works and doesn't work in our culture. And some of that comes through employee surveys. Some of that comes through anecdotal information. Um, that's that's what's worked best for for me. Um, I think IT, you know, just like HR does, um, 
surveys and, and collects information. I think IT has an obligation to do that too. One of the things that, that we've done is, uh, one of the things we have here at Wheels, we have something called the Ask Me Anything. So every month we have the entire team, and we have, we have folks who are offshore who, who can do it remotely, uh, but the entire team gets together and somebody presents. So it's somebody on the team or somebody in the business presenting, talking about something that's going on. And then a good you know, third of that meeting is people who have submitted questions uh, throughout the month and those questions get, get answered. And it's a great way, you know, IT teams tend to be more introverted. And so having a forum where people raise their hands and speak in front of the group is not always as effective, but giving people the opportunity to submit questions in advance and then address them and everybody hears the answers. We've had some, you know, really good questions. We have some really tough questions, you know, some really, you know, get to the heart of, you know, what's our strategy around this as a business and what's our, you know, what, what's our plan for this technology or how are we going to solve this problem, which seems to be a really thorny problem. But I, I think that that's, that's part of that feedback loop. And, and we share all that information with, with HR as well because it, it helps them work with us to figure out the right, whether it be training programs or just the right um, – uh, just the right cultural changes in the company to to make to make it an inviting place and to retain employees. This is Steve. Can I jump in on that for just a moment? First of all, sure. thank you for describing IT and HR as a partnership. I couldn't agree with you more. In terms of the communication, we had a similar experience and, and took it um, in a similar direction. We had found that employees in general, even outside IT, were feeling like they weren't um, uh, aware enough of what was going on in the business. So like many companies, we started town hall meetings, and they were primarily run by a CEO with some guest speakers, and our CFO would present financials. And we found our CEO really raised his hand and said, you know what, this is getting somewhat stale because I'm doing most of the talking. And, and you're right, people aren't comfortable raising their hands. We made two changes in addition to the asking for questions up front or in advance. One was we changed it to something we called the Panasonic Exchange. And we've now run two of these with a third plan for after the summer in September, where rather than one person speaking, we have a panel of people from a particular business with a moderator. And it just becomes much more fluid, much more conversational, much more flexible. The second, and, and perhaps, John, you've done this as well, is we've enabled people to text in questions real time. And um, similar to what we had today on, on the phone, it's been very helpful because we get now a wave of questions from people who, as you said, probably in the past wouldn't have been comfortable asking, and those questions are good, and our panel handles them, and it, it just makes more for it makes for a lot more lively and real experience. You know, Josh, question? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Josh. Well, I just wanted to comment. You guys are actually keying into something that's really, really big that's happening. You know, um, the old-fashioned way of measuring somebody's uh, satisfaction is was called an engagement survey. And companies do those once a year, and <laughs> they literally wait a year before they survey somebody again and see how things are going. And there's a big transition, and I think it's a disruption going on with HR departments, and, and HR is sometimes behind, actually, trying to build anonymous real-time feedback, because sometimes it does have to be anonymous. You know, if I'm really angry about something that happened at work, I may not want to put my name on it, but I certainly want to raise the issue. And I think what you guys are describing are great processes for doing that, but I actually think over the next year or two, we have these pulse survey tools. I just talked to a company that's building a mobile app that allows people to contribute anonymous comments to their company online, you know, through a website like uh, Glassdoor. 
So if the management's not interested in hearing it, they're going to contribute it anyway. So I think there's a uh, really, really big need for, for leaders like both of you guys to, to find ways to get people to open up. And, and technical people don't like to speak up in public sometimes about what's on their minds. They want to use other tools. So, you know, I really applaud you for doing that. I, I think it's a huge issue now. Josh, coming to uh, the situation where we said it is a merit-based, it's becoming a merit-based mm-hmm. organization, and, and the culture, in some cases, you said it's horrible because they make them work harder. Other people don't want to work. Right. When it comes to retention, would you think it's a better idea to also have that balance there where people who want just a cushy job and not actually voluntarily, voluntarily working towards going that extra mile actually should be managed out automatically or there is attrition? Because if you're going to keep people who are not performing and people who are really busting uh, their chops, it would be demotivated. Well, there's a really, really famous uh, picture that Jack Welch put out. I don't don't know if you've seen it. It's a two-by-two grid, and it has performance on one axis and fit with the organization on the other. And And the issue that he talked about many times was, what do I do with a really, really high performing individual who does not fit? Uh, you know, the person that breaks glass but gets a lot of work done. And he said, you know, and, and I think I've seen this in many companies, after many, many years, you've got to let that person go because it really is the team that matters. And so, you know, when you have a com- and I've been in companies where the superstars are revered and everybody else is just ignored, and that's generally dysfunctional because those guys leave too, and sometimes they don't know the answer, and it is really the value of the entire team that matters. Um, and so I think there's this, you know, kind of tough relationship between performance and culture. You know, we want everybody to perform well, but sometimes we have to dial back just a tiny bit on the performance uh, measure to make sure we have a team that's actually operating well together. And, again, it's sort of that sports analogy. You know, why is it that you can have a bunch of superstars and a new coach will come in and all of a sudden they'll start winning games when they weren't before. It's, it's this relationship between the people, and I, I think it's particularly true in technical roles where there's such wide variations in skill sets amongst the teams. I mean, that, that's certainly what I've learned. You guys, you, know, you guys deal with this every day. But. Yeah, this is so, John. I, I, I would agree with that, and I, and I, think, I think there's another risk in, inherent in, in having or focusing too much on superstars. Is you, you create a kind of hero mentality where only certain people can solve a problem. And that's a really tough place to be as a business or as a team because, for one thing, it doesn't scale. Um, for another thing, they may not always get it right. And if they do and if they get it wrong or if they leave, then you're really in trouble. So I, I agree. It, it, it's more about you're going to have people all over the continuum in terms of, of talent and capability, but, but, but the team is paramount over all that. So, yeah, yeah, the only part I'd point out is on the uh, bottom side – I wouldn't go so far as to say cushy. There's probably no room for cushy, but certainly people perform in different ways at different levels, and I think we need to respect that and leverage that. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And, John, when we come back, we'd like to ask if there was a way for us to identify specific ways for an individual to enter an organization at a specific level, and then like a career framework of sorts. It's been seen multiple times that it has been a very reactionary approach to when a person gets into an organization, the way they move up a ladder or go to make a lateral move, and there is no 
predictable approach to it. And everybody sits there and scratching their head that why was I promoted versus why I was not promoted. And that doesn't go very far. While we talk about culture, we talk about everything else, but the definition of what a given organization should have in terms of their career lattice, career framework, and and, and specific level, level competencies, et cetera. Either we go way too high, which becomes too difficult and complex to handle, or we do minimal. So what's that healthy balance where we define something in black and white and then work with that as a plan? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to HP.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, John, talking about art form, like we're building a culture and, and nurturing people, et cetera, et cetera, all that definitely everyone must be doing. But what are we, what's the state of the science behind building an IT organizational structure, the proper levels and competencies, and actually using them? One is to get it made and a report gathering dust, but actually to implement it. It, it definitely is both science and, and art. I, I do think there are there are tools that you can apply, and, and I've certainly in my teams we've done things like career ladders, where both for a technical and a non-technical track, and we'll be able to sit with people and talk about the kinds of roles we have on the team, and if they're interested, if they if they never want to manage people, which is fine, and, and certainly there are lots and lots of of really critical. Um, really valuable roles in technology that have nothing to do with people leadership, that they can kind of see that path. But the art part of that is, you know, it, it's everybody is different, and everybody's going to have a, a different path to get to uh, either where they want to get career-wise or even, even figuring out where they want to be because a lot of people, and I, uh, you know, over the years I've, I've worked with a lot of, of, of young technology people who, um, who do get, you know, to look at it and say, well, my path forward is being a manager. And they're given opportunities to lead a team or to lead a project, and they hate it 
because they just they, it's just not what they want to do. They want to stay close to the technology. They want to um, they want to focus on that rather than people leadership. And it's a very different very different discipline and very different interest. Um, in terms of culture, I, I think. What happens sometimes, and I mentioned earlier, you know, we do foosball and, and things like that, and that's part of it, but the culture is the more important part because you can put those things in the cafeteria, but that's not going to change the culture. And if you're thinking about changing the culture of the team, you have, to, you, have to, you have to have an honest conversation with yourself and the team about what works, what doesn't, and what you want the culture to be. Uh, a number of years ago, I, I, I joined a team that had a, a really deep-seated blame culture where the team and the company – when something went wrong, the first thing they wanted to do was figure out, you know, who whose head they were going to take, you know, for for having that mistake be made. And it it took a long time, but you had to do, you know, very you know very public kind of kind of whimsical things. Like we had a cheese head that we passed around, and so whoever made a mistake, um, they would admit that they made a mistake, and then they would pick somebody who would get the cheese head. So somebody who had nothing nothing to do with the problem would have to wear the cheese head. And eventually, you know, the team got the larger lesson, which is, look, we're, we're in this together. You know, we're going to succeed and fail together. Let's focus on the solutions and where we go. But that was something we had to examine in the team and say, this isn't the culture we want. Why do we have it? And then figure out how to fix it. But you really do have to have that kind of honest conversation with your yourselves, your team, and, and even the company's leadership. Because um, otherwise, if you, if you just put foosball tables in and, and free soda, um, it, it's not going to change the culture. Josh, do you see uh, a pattern of companies who have had better retention, better environment to be adopting a certain tricks and techniques and, <laughs> and strategies? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I'm a little bit of an older guy. I've been around. I mean, I started my career back in the days when you basically had cubicles and that was it. Um, and I go to these big, I go to these tech companies and I see all the fancy food and the, you know, the, the free lunch and the free dinner and the free breakfast and, you know, the foosball tables and the yoga classes. And I used to think, oh, that's ridiculous. But actually, I disagree. I actually think it's important for, for a different reason, not just culture. You know, not only is it a little bit of an entitlement culture, at least in Silicon Valley, but I actually think there's another problem going on. <clears throat> we call it the overwhelmed employee. Our research shows, and I could, this just blew my mind, 70, roughly 65 to 70 percent of companies at the HR exec level tell us that their people are overwhelmed. They have too much to do, too many emails, too many meetings, too many conference calls, too many text messages. They're carrying their phones home at night, and they can't manage it all. And so they're unproductive just from the volume of stuff they're dealing with. And so, and leaders, it's even worse. So, and, and I don't know about tech, you know, the tech community. I'm sure the tech community is dealing with this too. So we have to give people time to relax and think and rest and talk. And, and that might mean physically changing the office and moving people around physically from place to place and letting them go play ping pong for a while because the work world is pretty doggone demanding. I mean, I've been you know in the working world for 35 years, and I can't believe how it's a 24-7 world now. I mean, I'm an analyst, so it's particularly hard for me. But I can't get away from it. You know, you go home, you've got your email with you everywhere you go, everywhere you, you know, in the bathroom, when you're in the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> it's always there. So I actually think this work environment thing is a very significant issue, and you have to look at it as um, 
as a part of making your organization productive, not just a benefit. I think it's the reality of, of the work world, and I'd be very curious you know, what you guys have to say on that topic. Sure. This is Steve. I, I think the physical environment is very important. It, it enables certain behaviors, communicates certain messages. But I also think that to add to that, there's um, a perspective that's very important, if one can embrace it, to be able to communicate. And that is, some of these things are not life and death issues, and mistakes are okay. You know, what I tell people I really want is heart and smart. I mean, we develop competency models too, but that's my ultimate competency model. I want people who are committed, they have heart, and then, and they're smart. But I know mistakes are going to happen. In fact, the toughest things that we do are going to incur the greatest mistakes, and we want to keep taking on challenges. So I think it's helping people keep that perspective. I think it's also a, not only a tolerance, but an embrace of what people might need to do outside of work. So if someone comes up to me and says, you know, my fourth grade kid's in a, in a uh, class play tomorrow and I need to go, I kind of cut them off mid-sentence and say goodbye because I know they're going to work and I know they're going to work after the play. So while one has to be you know, somewhat careful about that across a big organization, I think it's that perspective that, hey, it's all right. Um, just one quick example. I have a fellow who came over to me a couple of days ago. Actually, it was yesterday. And he is, in many respects, the perfect employee, heart, smart, always working well, and in fact has a job that includes an exquisite level of detail. And guess what? He made a mistake the other day. And he came to me, which was the right thing to do, to own up to it and looked at me and I said, oh, okay. You know, you usually get this right. We can fix it. Let's go on. And I think it's that perspective that's important to communicate to people because you're right. We're always available. And at the end of the day, I think sometimes we have to smell the roses. Yeah, this is John. I think, I think some of this is generational too. And, and I think it's, it's good that you know, younger people in particular, view the lines between work and personal life and other activities being very blurry. I mean, they're used to being reachable everywhere. They're used to working on things. And I think recognizing that in the workplace, being able to take breaks and not saying, well, did you, you know, were you here from 8 o'clock to 5 o'clock today? Did you put in five hours? We, we really need to focus on the accomplishment about getting the work done. However, however it gets done, making sure it actually gets finished. And I think also, this is Steve again, to separate between, I like to tell people, what's a crunch and what's not a crunch. So if it's not a crunch, if it doesn't have to get done tomorrow, then I'll tell them explicitly, I don't want this tomorrow. Maybe I want it in 10 days. And other things I'll say, you know, sorry, but this is a crunch. I need it later today or I need it tomorrow. And I think helping people understand that difference gets you buy-in and also, frankly, helps the projects that are a crunch get done because people know, gee, this really is urgent. All right, 15 seconds each, starting with you, Josh. If you had to say one thing to the organizations out there to improve the retention for their technology talent, what would that be? I would say it's make sure that people are working on great projects and that their manager, supervisor, or leader is there to help them and coach them. And, and I think if, if people feel that they're there, that they're getting help and they're working on fun stuff, they're going to stick around and they're going to really contribute. John? I think it you know create a culture where where candor is is not only possible but um is expected both ways um where you tell them what's real and and what's working and what's not, and they're free to tell you that because you learn an awful lot that way, and I think um that's how you that's how you ultimately make a the organization better, and that is how you retain people because as as um Josh mentioned earlier you're People today, they're, they suss out the bureaucracy and, and what's not real, um, and they know what's going on. And so to hear you acknowledge that and acknowledge that you want to work with them to make it better, that makes a huge difference in, in attracting and retaining people.
Very quickly, Steve. Show them what you need from them from a business perspective and recognize that you're a, you're a spot along their career, that you're a spot within their broader life, and figure out the best way to meet uh, both sides' needs. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, uh, Steve, Josh, and John, for sharing your thoughts about how we can retain IT talent in this new normal. Search for CIO Talk Radio and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Bosch Software Innovations.